Hey guys, I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker today. Dan Houck is no stranger to Summit Church. He is a longtime and good friend of our family. His kids grew up in our youth ministry in Fair Oaks, and uh, we've loved this family for a very, very long time. He and Teresa are an amazing couple who in August will be doing our marriage retreat that we're really excited about. But Dan is simply one of those leader of leaders. He does such an amazing job of bringing out the very best in everyone. I love hearing him speak. I wish I was there with you today to hear him, but I'm gonna share him with you today. Would you give a huge, warm summit welcome to Dan Houck? Thank you so much, everyone. It is exciting to be back here at Summit Church, and I am so grateful that Pastor Chris and Lisa are getting to take some time off. We actually got to go to the lake a week ago and go paddleboarding with them. Pastor Chris took up paddleboarding for the first time, and I was able to teach him how to fall off the board. I just got to let you know he did really well. He did really well. No, actually, he's pretty natural at it. He got up, I turned around, oh, you're already up. I guess I don't need to teach you anything. But I'm glad they're off getting some some relaxation, some rest, getting some fresh vision. They're going to come back renewed. And uh, I I was thinking about rest as I was thinking about that and how important it is to get rest. You know, uh, Teresa and I have been in this incredibly busy season over the last few years. And in the last year, we've actually moved twice. I have been exhausted watching Teresa do all the work. But seriously, uh, I was thinking about rest a while back, and I thought about a time in my life where I didn't give myself a chance to rest. I was, I was a single dad at the time. I was traveling around the country. I handled big accounts like Coca-Cola. And as I was uh, preparing my week, I was sitting on the couch, and I knew I had all these appointments. My daughter had to get rides to school. And, and I got up off the couch, and my back, I heard a, a pop in it. It took my breath away, and I laid back down, and the pain was so intense, I couldn't get off my back. I had to lay there and have my daughters bring food and water to me. Um, They did it other times too, but this wasn't out of laziness, this was out of necessity. Uh, And as I sat there, I realized, oh my gosh, I could lose my job. How is everything going to get taken care of? It took me two weeks to be able to get up and move around again. Well, the world didn't fall apart, as you can tell. But while I was sitting on the couch, I realized I had no margin in my life. I was just going, 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 and I desperately needed a break. I needed a rest. You know, busyness is just one kind of burden we carry. We sang about burdens. I don't know if that was planned, but that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And there's a lot of burdens that we carry. One of them is marriage burdens. Sometimes things are not going so well at home, and we walk around thinking about it. At work, we think about it. And our day, it can bring us down. By the way, uh, as Pastor Chris mentioned, this marriage retreat, I highly encourage you to come. Teresa and I are going to be presenting. We have had the privilege of leading marriage ministries at Bayside for many years. I actually wrote a book on how to 
help people get ready for marriage. We had over 100 marriages successfully come out of our ministry. And so we hope you can go there. Uh, guys, don't wait for your wives to sign up. Sign up for them. You earn points. And points can be redeemed. We'll talk about that at the marriage retreat, all right? But you won't want to miss it. It's going to be good. So no matter where, if you need a tune-up or if your marriage is great, we would love to see you there at the retreat. But that's just one kind of burden, those marriage burdens. Maybe what about burdens with children, right? You have a child. You're not getting sleep at night. They're leaving messes around the house. And that's just the 27-year-olds. I'm not even talking about infants, right? Being a parent can be a huge burden we carry around. What about jobs? Sometimes we're in a job we don't like. We have a boss or coworkers we don't like, and we carry these burdens around. Not to mention the burdens about health. Did you hear there's a new COVID variant going around? It's in the news. One of the healthiest things you can do is not watch the news, right? Amen. Come on. There's also those burdens of secrets, the, the things that we've done in our past that we're ashamed of, or maybe addictions, things that we're going through right now that no one knows about, and we're carrying them, or we're, we're thinking, oh, I can get through this, and just one failure after another, but we know deep down in our hearts that at some point, this addiction, this thing that's holding us down is going to come to the surface, and it's going to wreak havoc in our life. Folks, we were not designed to carry burdens like this in our lives alone. We have a God who loves us, who wants to enter into our situations and help us understand how we can have rest. Let's pray this morning as we open the Word and study. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to learn from you. And I know in this room, we probably have people that maybe they've just gotten out of a season of busyness, burdens they've been carrying, and they, they're not feeling it right now. But maybe there's people right now that they're experiencing the pressure of their own lives, outside circumstances, difficulty in relationships, financial concerns, all kinds of things that are weighing them down. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to them and those in the future who may start facing difficulties they never imagined, but you have a word for them today, a way they can find rest, a supernatural, a deep rest that satisfies the soul. So speak to every one of us and speak through me this morning as, as we study your word in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. All right. So we're going to go through three steps. These three steps are incremental. You'll need to understand these three steps in order to get the kind of rest that God has for us. I'm going to be speaking out of Matthew chapter 11 this morning. But the first step, you got to get it. It's the most important step. If you don't get this step, the other ones won't make any sense to you. And the first step, if you want real rest, don't let pride deceive you. Don't let pride deceive you. You see, we all struggle with pride sometimes, right? It's not just the other person. You all know somebody who thinks they're all that and a bag of chips, right? And they can drive us a little nuts, but we all struggle with pride. It's a common problem. We are all the heroes of our own story. And when we struggle with pride, it creates problems in our lives. Let me give you an illustration of how pride can affect us. Let's say that you're waiting for somebody uh, you've made an appointment with them. Maybe you're going to dinner with them. Maybe you're saving them a seat somewhere at church. And, and they said they're going to meet you at a certain time. And they show up 15 minutes late. Don't you do this. Don't you go, I cannot believe them. They have known for how long that we're going to meet together at this time. And they're late. I just, how insensitive of them. And they come and they give their excuses. And you're, you're well, that's okay. But really deep down inside, it's not okay, right? It's, are we okay? 
There we go. Deep down inside, it's not okay. But when you're on the other side of it, you're running late, and you're, oh my gosh, I'm already five minutes late, and you get in the car, and you hit every light red. Did you know when you're late, you hit more red lights on average than normal? All right. And then you get there, and you tell them the story, and you expect grace, don't you? It's pride, right? We want grace, but it's harder for us to extend grace. We struggle with pride. There's two psychologists that studied pride, cognitive bias, they call it, and they found that in the workplace, 40% of the people they studied feel that they're in the top 5% of the workplace. That means at least 35% of the people are wrong, right? Probably more like 40% of the people are wrong. So the reality is we struggle with pride. Here's what the quote of that study, how he summarized this study. He said, in many cases, incompetence does not leave people disoriented, perplexed, or cautious. Instead, the incompetent are often blessed with an inappropriate confidence, buoyed by something that feels to them like knowledge. Of course I'm the best at my job. I feel very confident. That's evidence that I'm the best at my job, right? We struggle with pride. So here's what Jesus says to us in verse 25. Matthew 11, verse 25, Jesus said this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Now, Jesus isn't against uh, people understanding the truth. He's not saying, oh, it's so good that some people are not getting this. The reality is, if you're, if you're sick, but you don't think you're sick, you're not going to go to a doctor, right? If you've been bitten by a snake, you don't think you have poison in you, and you're not going to seek the antidote. That's what he's saying. There's two classes of people. There's people that don't need what he has to say. This is a pivotal time in Matthew 11. As you're reading the book of Matthew, you'll notice he's speaking to the crowds. Everybody in the crowds, you got the lady, the, the average folks, and you got the religious leaders. He's speaking to them all the same. But something changes because he's seeing resistance from the religious leaders. There's people in that time that were listening to him that had this attitude. I got this. I know the whole Old Testament by heart. I've been living the Ten Commandments. I'm doing everything right. I got this. I don't need this religious guy telling me what to do. Have you ever heard the I got this mentality in our culture? You ever heard somebody say this? Religion is just a crutch. You ever heard that? Religion is a crutch. Or I'm a good person, right? I go to church. I give money sometimes. Sometimes I roll down my window at the corner when there's a person standing there needing money, and I help. And they get this attitude that I've got it all together. I've got a great quote from a man named John. See if I can get his name here. I'll get it. John Lennox. John Lennox, famous Christian philosopher and debater. He was debating an atheist one time, and the atheist was essentially saying, you, you have a crutch, right? He says, you only believe in God because you're afraid of the dark, right? In other words, you're afraid of spooky things. You have to make up a God to believe in him. And John Lennox had a brilliant response. He goes, well, you don't believe in God because you're afraid of the light, Amen. right? There is more to understanding who we are and the world we live in and the burdens we carry than what we know. We need somebody else to help us understand this. So, what's the difference? I'll
On? There we go. Okay. This is going to work better. All right. So what's the difference between the wise and learned and that child, that little child he was talking about? Aren't little children a liability? Right? They, they sleep all the time. They cry. They poop their pants. Is this okay? Can you hear the? This is a picture of my grandson. Uh, is this okay? Higher? Like this? Okay, there we go. Sorry. All right. Uh, this is my grandson's uh, Phoenix, and Phoenix is phenomenal. But he's just like I said, he's a liability, right? He cries a lot. He poops his pants. He has this velociraptor shriek. That's what we describe it as. And we recently went on a trip to, uh, to St. Louis's little family reunion, and the first part of the trip, I sat right next to my daughter, Marie, and he was such a good boy. But on the second leg of the trip, trip, I got removed. I was a, a couple of, a few rows away from him. And as we were coming to land, the velociraptor scream just started going. And it got louder and louder. And we were at the back of the plane. I guarantee you the pilot and co-pilot heard it. I guarantee it. And, and as he was screaming, the, the people in front were bending over and plugging their ears. And I looked over and I could tell this was going on uh, because I, I took off my noise-canceling headphones for a second to hear it. And then I put them back on and enjoyed the trip. So, so what it is, is it about little children that are they're so good that Jesus wants to get? They understand something that we lose as we become an adult. We're utterly helpless. We're utterly dependent. A child has nothing, nothing to their name. They have no food. They depend on the parents. They have no home. They have no job. They're a bunch of slackers, aren't they, right? They're utterly dependent on their parents. And Jesus is saying, you have to understand, you have to have a humility like a child if you're going to get what I have to say. And so the first thing we need to be sure we do is we come to him and, and not let pride deceive us. We need his rest. The second step, the second thing we need to do to find true rest is don't let weariness defeat you. Don't let it defeat you. We live in a weariness epidemic. Do you know, have you heard about the Great Resignation? Last year, the first 10 months of 2021, 39 million people quit their jobs. And it's continuing to this day. And a lot of the reason has to do with burnout, frustration. They hate what they're doing. They don't find meaning in it. And it's not just jobs. It's marriages. Marriages are hurting. Uh, marriage, marital difficulty is on the rise. It's affecting families. It's affecting neighborhoods, culture. We see it in our society. We're in a weariness epidemic, and we desperately need the rest that Jesus brings. When we're weary, we don't make good decisions. When we're weary, we don't have joy. When we're weary, we isolate ourselves from other people. When we're weary, we're more susceptible to things like addictions and distractions to try and get away from the weight that we're carrying around in our world. So this is what Jesus says when it comes to our weariness. I love this. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all, all, everyone, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, if I were to ask you to come, you know, think in your mind, bring somebody up in your mind that, that you know has a lot of problems, or they tend to be kind of negative. Do you have anybody that you know in your life that's kind of negative? Hopefully it's not the person sitting right next to you. But 
we all have those people in our lives, and I think a lot of times we see them coming, and we go, ooh, you want to go the other direction, right? Last week, I had three conversations in one day with three different people. The first one, this person had a recent very difficult breakup, and so I'm helping him kind of walk through the grief of this breakup. The second person was having just horrible uh, problems with his ex and custody. He wasn't able to see his child It was heartbreaking to hear his story. The other person had relapsed into addiction, was talking to me and trying to get advice from me. After those three conversations, I was worn out. I was talking to a lady at our church who actually has a lot of conversations, does a lot of counseling, and she said, you know what, right now I'm experiencing empathy fatigue. You ever heard of that? So many conversations were wearing her down. So for someone to say something like this, come to me, all you who are weary, is kind of borderline crazy, isn't it? You'd have to be nuts to say that, or or you'd have to be arrogant beyond belief, or is it possible that you have such power, such empathy, such compassion, such forgiveness, such care and concern that you really, truly want to help people? This is a promise he's giving us. He's saying, if you come to me, if you're weary and burdened down, I'm going to give you rest. One of the most difficult things that we face in life are trials. Uh, In fact, it's said that when people deconstruct their faith, I don't know if you've heard of that, people leave the faith, one of the primary reasons is because they went through a very difficult time. They felt like, God, where are you? If you've ever felt like that in your life, you're in good company. At the very beginning of this chapter, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, said this. Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3 says this, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So you got to understand who John is. John is the cousin of Jesus. John is the one who was probably around Jesus growing up. He was the one called to make the path ready for Jesus to come. He was the one that was there when Jesus walked up. He said, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who, when it was time to baptize Jesus, he said, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, let it be done because it has to be fulfilled for all righteousness. He's the one that said, I'm not worthy to be touched Jesus' feet. He knew who Jesus was. He heard the heavens open and God say, this is my beloved son who, in whom I am well pleased. He knew who Jesus was. So what changed? He was carrying a burden. He was in prison. His expectations weren't being met. It's not supposed to be like this. Jesus, you're supposed to come to earth. You're supposed to take care of the problems. Kick the Romans out. Establish your kingdom. I'm not supposed to be here in prison right now. Have you ever felt like that in your life? I know I did. There was a point in my life where I had loss after loss. I'd been through a divorce. I I was having financial struggles. I had all these things going on in my life, and I was making mistakes myself. I was always so concerned in the past for doing the right thing. I was known for doing the right thing. I was the go-to guy in the family for doing the right thing. And I came to a point in my life I'd been doing the right thing, doing the right thing, doing the right thing, and yet my life was falling apart, and I was falling apart. And I I was talking to a counselor one time. I said, I just feel like I'm ready to just chuck my faith and walk away. And he said, well, go ahead and go home and do that and let me know how it goes. What a horrible counselor. Anyway. (laughs) I remember going home that night, ready to go tell God that I don't believe in him anymore. Think about how crazy that kind of a conversation is. I don't believe you anymore. Well, why are you talking to me? (laughs) You're right here. (laughs) 
And I just remember sitting on the floor next to my bed, just crying out to God and saying, I can't do this anymore. And I remember that moment for the first time, maybe. I knew it intellectually, but the first time feeling the love and compassion of God. Feeling like, I sent my son in the world to save you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm with you to the end. Nothing can separate me from the love from the love that I have for you. Nothing. And I was experiencing it. And I realized in my weakest moment, my worst time, he's still there. I just hadn't bring in, been bringing my burdens to him. I've been bearing my burdens alone. And in that moment, I gave my burdens to him, and I felt lighter when I got up off the floor that moment. And what John did, he's experiencing pain in prison. And rather than rejecting his faith and saying, I don't believe who you are, he asked Jesus, are you the one? Help me with my doubts right now. I need reassurance. And that's exactly what Jesus gave him. Sometimes you don't realize the weight of the burden you're carrying until you have that burden removed. Isn't that true? You know, unfortunately, I love America, super patriotic, but America's not perfect. You guys know that, right? We got struggles. One of the things about America, the American dream, it's you can do anything. You can be anything you want. Rugged individualism. And I think it, it's baked into our culture that we have to carry our burdens alone. And if you think it's a new thing, a modern thing, think again. It's been going on for a long time. Mark Twain wrote this over a hundred years ago. This is a great quote. He says, in America, we hurry, which is well. But when the day's work is done, we go on thinking of losses and gains. We plan for the morrow. Even, we even carry our business carries to bed with us and toss and worry over them when we ought to be restoring our racked bodies and brains with sleep. When an acre of ground is produced long and well, we let it lie fallow and rest for a season. When a razor has seen long service and refuses to hold an edge, the barber lays it away for a few weeks, and the edge comes back of its own accord. We bestow thoughtful care upon inanimate objects, but none upon ourselves. What a robust people, what a nation of thinkers we might be if we would only lay ourselves on the shelf occasionally and renew our edges." You know one of the first things we can do? It's kind of simple. How about if we get a good night's sleep? Get a good night's sleep. It's hugely helpful. Did you know that during the day when you're thinking you're going about your business that toxic proteins are attaching themselves to your neurons? That's why you go a little crazy after you go without sleep for a while. One time, unintentionally, I had to work 36 hours straight. At the end of the 36 hours working, I was driving home. I was literally hallucinating, seeing things. When the giant bunnies were crossing the road, I knew I'd better pull over and go to sleep. When you sleep, your brain is repaired. The REM sleep, the deep sleep, the light sleep, every part of the sleep patterns, your brain is being replenished. That's why you feel so good after you've had a good night's sleep. What about taking a Sabbath? The very next chapter, Jesus is going to address the Sabbath. He says, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. In other words, I want you guys to be able to take a rest every once in a while. You know, Teresa and I moved in this new house, and we're in the living room. They have this huge picture window we look out in kind of a park-like front yard. And I have my TV still sitting there in the box. I haven't put it up because we sit down, we look out the window. It's very restful. 
I might never put it up, but I haven't finished Netflix yet. I've got all of Netflix to finish. So, but, but the reality is, we need to give our bodies rest nightly. We need to give our bodies rest weekly, like what Pastor and Lisa are doing. You need to get vacations sometimes and get away annually. It's important for our health. What about screens? That's another thing you can do. Have you ever left the house and you go, ah, my phone. I forgot my phone. And you race back home or you're debating, should I go to where I'm going without my phone and then come back? I mean, we have these conversations in our head. God forbid we should be without our phone for a while. You ever been somewhere where you have no cell service and no Wi-Fi? Oh, my gosh, do you feel naked and vulnerable and afraid, right? We can survive without those kinds of things. God wants us to do some practical things for our rest. But the final thing is, is this is the critical step, the most critical. Don't let uncertainty stop you. If you want true rest, don't let uncertainty stop you. Really, it's about trust here. Jesus is going to address a trust issue right now. You know, I, trust is a big deal when it comes to our burdens because I think sometimes we, we think we have to carry them because we're worried that if we truly give them to Jesus, he's going to ask us to do something weird. Is, am I just the one? Like, I don't want to fully surrender you, Jesus, because I don't want to be in a, a missionary in, you know, Zimbabwe. I'm going to stay here, right? We think he's going to ask us to do something really crazy. I, we sometimes have gone to celebrate recovery with some of our friends. Because Celebrate Recovery is a place for people with hurts, hangups, and habits, right? We all have stuff like that. I think, honestly, I think everybody could go through Celebrate Recovery and benefit from it. But we'll go every once in a while with somebody who's carrying a burden. And it feels so good when they go there and they realize, oh, I got this burden. I need this. I need to be honest about my burden. And I need to walk with some other people and just give my burden to God. And we see people freed up when they do those kinds of things. But it's sad to me when somebody goes, and we've seen this happen. They'll go, they'll bring their burdens into Celebrate Recovery. They'll watch what's going on, and then they'll leave with their burdens and go, ah, I don't think that's for me. And you'll hear them talking about the same burdens. It's because they don't trust. They're afraid to take that risk, that step of faith, and let go of control and actually listen to what Jesus might say about their burdens. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody could use some soul rest today? I can. I could use some soul rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's a yoke? Right? It's the yellow part of an egg, right? No, that's not what this is at all, okay? I have a picture of a yoke right here. So if you look on the screen, you'll see a, a picture of two oxen. What do oxen do? They pull... Heavy loads, there you go. They pull heavy loads. They, they pull burdens, don't they? And so, so when I first read this, I thought, okay, I, you want me to come to you for rest, but now you're going to put a yoke on me? That sounds like more weight. <laughs> I'm already carrying something, Jesus. Don't you get it? I'm carrying the baggage of my finances, my past, my marriage problems, everything. I don't need more weight on my shoulders right now. Well, we must understand the purpose of the yoke. Jesus is not saying any yoke. He's saying my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because what he wants to do is he wants to connect to us, and he wants to share the burden of our load. So we're no longer carrying it alone, but he's pulling with it. And who better to pull our loads with us than the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the most powerful person in the universe? Who could be better? 
And so when Jesus says this, it's, it's compassionate. And he even puts the words in there, lest you not trust him. He says, I am humble. I'm gentle. I'm not going to make it harder for you guys. I'm going to actually make it easier. You know, when it comes to carrying burdens, we have all kinds that we come to, but there's no greater burden that we carry than our guilt and our, the responsibility for our own eternity. You think about that. There's nothing greater that we carry than guilt and the fear of what might be beyond this world. I remember uh, I have a, a, had a good friend. He's still a good friend. But uh, he was the person that invited me to church at Bayside many years ago. Super nice guy, fun. Served on the, uh, he served constantly, but served on our first aid team. He's kind of a quirky guy. He was a science teacher in school. And uh, I started a small group with him. He was one of the founding people in our small group. I don't know if we have a, another one of my friends here, Mitch. He was in that small group too. But um, there's one point that his name was Rick. And Rick was home. He wasn't getting out. He wasn't feeling well. And he, he really wasn't, he, he wasn't interacting with anybody. We got worried. So somebody in our group went to his house and they found him. And he was not looking good. So they took him to the hospital. And when he got to the hospital, they discovered that he had cancer. And in fact, it was so advanced, they realized there's really nothing they can do at this point other than make him comfortable. And so for the next few weeks, he had so many friends. His friends would be there day and night, 24 hours a day. There was always somebody there by his side. I got to visit him too. And I'll never forget going, it was probably almost two weeks before he passed. I remember going to see him, and somebody came out, and they said, Rick is really agitated, he's really concerned, because he's seeing what's before him, and he knows the end is coming, and he's worried about where he's going. And so I went in there and, and cleared the room out, and Rick and I just had a nice conversation. And I said to him, Rick, what's going on? You've been going to church a long time. You know that Jesus loves you, right? Yeah. He goes, well, I'm worried. Like, I'm a science teacher. Like, I've never settled a question of, like, evolution or the origin or all these things. And he was thinking about all these, all these burdens were weighing him down. He was worried about what was going to happen in a few weeks, potentially, when he goes into eternity. And I asked him, I said, Rick, do you believe that Jesus entered into this world, that God entered this world? Yeah. Do you believe he lived a perfect life? And he died on a cross for you to take your place. I said, yeah, I do believe that. Do you believe he showed that he meant what he said and he knew what he said by raising again from the dead? He goes, yeah, I believe that. I said, Rick, you can trust him. Just let those doubts, that uncertainty go. You can trust him. He's got you. So we talked a little more, and I left. He passed away two weeks later, and I officiated his memorial. And I remember someone coming up to me at his memorial and saying, you know what, I don't know what the difference was, but up to that point when you had that conversation with him, conversation with him he was distraught, he was, he was concerned, agitated, and after that he was at peace the rest of the time. See, he realized the most important burden he could 
he could have in life, he could not carry alone. And that's where he was going. And so he trusted God. He didn't let uncertainty stop him. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're carrying a burden, and I know so many of you are, I know it. Jesus has the same offer today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father God, I just thank you so much that in a world of uncertainty and in a world of burdens that we have to carry, that we don't have to carry them alone, that we have a Savior, we have a friend who is offering, who is pleading for us to give up control, to give up our pride, and to humbly come and just say, can you help me? I need you right now. I just would like to pray if there's anybody in the room this morning who has never taken that step of faith with their eternity, with their guilt, I just pray that if they're feeling in this moment that they want to take that step, that they would just do it and say, Jesus, I believe you. I, I heard what Dan said, and I know it's true. I need to get rid of this burden this morning, my guilt, my shame. I want to be in a right relationship with God. Can you help me with that? And I know there's others that walked in here not expecting maybe to hear this, but some burdens have come to their mind even as I've been speaking. I just pray for you right now, God, that you would help them with those burdens as they give them to you in their mind's eye, that you would connect to them and let them know that you're going to walk through this life, through this burden together with them. And you're going to be their strength and you're going to be their guide. Because you're a trustworthy God who loves us. God, for all you do for us, for your love that you show us in practical ways, we give you thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.